Biden is a little bitch. Do you guys remember when fucking <laughs> Netanyahu came to the U.S. and just went yeah. up to Congress under the invitation of what Mitch McConnell, I think, and just fucking shit on Barack Obama indirectly for which, not. Which, by and the then, way, is like not a thing that foreign leaders do. They don't come at the request of like a senator. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, not, like that's not a thing foreign dignitaries do. <laughs> Yeah, and then what What does Obama do on the way up? Fucking sign a $38 billion 10-year package, military aid package for Israel. Money. on his, And he gets shat on. Money. And then right. same thing with Biden. Shit. Hello and welcome to another episode of Progressive Rants. I'm Nabil and I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land from which I'm dialing in from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respects to elders past and present. Today on the pod, we've got the full crew again. It's got Ben, Ian, Rory, and Nas. Say hi, guys. No. Hello. <laughs> What's up, fellas? Hi. Yes, uh, we are all uh, convening to talk about a topic that is, uh, we've been wanting to talk about this for a while now, and uh, um, basically it's about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and uh, we're going to touch base a little bit with short history lesson and basically dive into what's going on right now. So uh, if we go back about a century, uh, (laughs) with all good conflicts around the world, uh, it always starts with the British, of course. Um, we can start off with the uh, Balfour Declaration, where um, the foreign secretary uh, representing the government basically sent a letter to Lord Rothschild, who was uh, one of the leaders of the Zionist movements in Britain. The letter uh, basically states that the Majesty's government wants to uh, build a home for the Jewish people in the state of Palestine. Um, for this, while all uh, this is all happening under, you know, in the background, the French. And the UK were also trying to divvy up the area with uh, called under the uh, Sykes-Picot Agreement. It was the <clears throat> excuse me. It was the French and the, the British governments sensing that they're going to win the war, betrayed uh, <laughs> the Arab leaders who they had a understanding with. They used them to fight the Ottomans to win the war, and then they divvied up the land amongst themselves. Huh, who would have thought that was going to happen? Anyways, so that starts a um, an opening for the, uh, the move, the you know, the expansion of Jewish settlement. There were a lot of uh, Jews in the area to begin with, but not as much as we see now. So if you go back to when the declaration was happening, the Balfour Declaration around 1917, we've got about 600,000, um, indi- these are all indigenous populations, 600,000 Muslims, 30,000 um, Jew, uh, 30, Jews, and 81,000 Christians. So that is the starting point from this. Uh, if you fast forward today, the state of Israel has 9 million. So that is the timeline and the uh, increase in population in that area. So obviously, a lot of people have been displaced due to that in that time. So this displacement isn't recent. I know the news likes to harp on the fact that the settlements are displacing people, but this has been happening pre-Israel. So this isn't a recent phenomenon. It's uh, definitely scaled up, but it's uh, it's been festering for a while. And uh, over the years, there's been a lot of revolts, a lot of uprisings, and uh, it's always been the British who've quashed them until the uh, state of Israel has gained independence. And they've continued this basically philosophy of in taking over the land of Palestine. It's uh, if you go back to, I would say the twenties, they, there was a map that I stumbled upon. Um, I wish we could show it here, but I don't have it right now. Uh, That showed how they wanted to divvy up Palestine between the the indigenous Palestinians who were still there and the, uh, the settlers who were coming in. And let me just tell you, the map did not look that (laughs) favored the Palestinians that well at all. But uh, as uh, as time went on, um, 
obviously, as the settlers were taking over more land, more and more land, and displacing Palestinians, it was causing a crisis in terms of humanitarian crisis. There's a lot of refugees. Um, there's disparities in living standards. And um, we'll get into that more later. I believe Rory's got a whole heap of numbers he'd like to share with us soon. But uh, that sets up the, because uh, everyone knows pretty much, they hear the the story of the, you know, the Israeli independence war from 1948 onwards. You hear a lot of that, but you, no one really gets to hear what happened before, especially pre-World War One, when the powers were divvying up the land. And like I said earlier, <laughs> with all uh, good conflicts in the world, it always starts with the British, <laughs> always. So yeah, that's a little bit of uh, historical context uh, pre-World War Two. But uh, if you guys want to start jumping in, um, I don't want to drag on too much with history. But Well, and I think connecting it to the modern day, much like all great things started by Britain, uh, America loves to take over. <laughs> exactly. Um, and even right now, I mean, even though Biden is kind of getting nudged over to say things like he wants a ceasefire, we just approved almost $800 billion in weapon sales to Israel this yep. week in the midst of them killing children. So, mm -hmm. and after we shot down a UN resolution for the third time, right? I believe we were the only UN country, right? It was pretty yep. fucked up. Yeah. Three times running. Damn. Not, mm -hmm. not that the UN has a lot of pull anyway, but it's, it was like, that was one of those moments where it was kind of like, you know, it, it's, mm. this is supposed to be the proper channels that countries can go through to, to like formally disagree. And, you know, we, used our, uh, you know, we used our muscle and blocked that. Yeah. And actually when I break down a little bit of the economy comparisons between the two countries, um, you'll start to, you'll start to see a little bit of why that might be. I mean, obviously it's money. It, it definitely always comes down to money. Let's be honest. It's not a moral thing. It's money. Um, if you guys want, I can dive into the economy comparison a little bit if you would like, unless we've got something else we want to say. Go no, for it. We, we go for it. It gives a better understanding of like what the disparity actually is. And yeah. let me tell you, there is one. So let's go ahead and just look at the economy. Um, the, the, a little bit of a comparison here. So it, bear with me. It, it, I get a little bit into this and I'm going to try and run through it as fast as we can just because there's a lot to say. So let's just start off by saying Israel's economy currently is ranked at 31 in the world. Sometimes you can find it being somewhere at 30, depending on where you look. But let's go ahead and say it's somewhere around 31, 30. Uh, their GDP is ranked 19th in the world, which is the specific, um, sometimes is a better indicator, sometimes not. So I'd like to include them both. Their GDP as of 29 or 2019 was 394.7 billion. That's expressed in American dollars. Now compare that to Palestine, which sits at around 121st. That's based on GDP, which is currently sitting at 16.28 billion. And that metric is from 2018. So you can see the difference between 19th in the world and 121st. And already we're starting to see a pretty massive gap between the two states. Israel's main imports are machinery and equipment. This includes electrical machinery and equipment, sound recorders, television, image and sound recorders, mineral fuels, uh, which includes oil, vehicles, precious gems, mainly diamonds, optical and other medical apparatus, pharmaceuticals, plastics, aircraft, iron and steel. Okay, that ties into their main exports, which is actually diamonds for the most part. I found that particularly interesting. That's about 18% of their imports that, or exports. They've been taking a bit of a bath on that lately as gem values have suffered in the recent years. If you happen to be into that industry, you can check it out. Other exports include things like petroleum, integrated circuitry, uh, medical instruments, broadcasting equipment, which makes more sense when you look at what they import. They import sort of these more base materials and they export technology. Compare that to Palestine's main imports. You have oil, food, vegetables, machinery, metals, vehicles, chemicals, livestock, beverages, and salt, interestingly enough. Uh, Palestine's main importer partner is Israel, with 70% of their imports coming from Israel. So there's already starting to see a little bit of a conflict there if you, you know, you start to look at who is providing them most of their services. Well, and and, and you, get, you can't take that in a vacuum, too, because they control... Uh, so much of the flow of mm -hmm. of goods into and out of Palestine, yeah, In including or. including the most necessary natural resources being food and water. Yeah, yeah. And so when you huge, look at that, especially, huge diversions of water, too. like mm -hmm. Gaza is completely dependent, like one hundred percent. So you look at Palestine's main exports. We we've seen what Israel does. They 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 pull in certain materials and they. Create you also, they export it. I also think you forgot to mention that like <clears throat> what Israel's primary export is like not in a physical good, but as far as like, you know, human capital is there the tech hub of the Middle East. 
Yeah. Sure. No. And that actually, it really actually does come across in integrated circuitry, metal in, medical instruments, broadcasting equipment. I was actually surprised at the find out that a, a, one of the main things they export is broadcasting equipment. Yeah. They're also the leaders in cannabis research in the world. It, interesting. I actually did not pick that one up. Yeah. So continuing on, we find Palestine's main exports and you compare that to what Israel had. It's, it's a lot of construction materials, to be honest. Their number one export is cement. Base metals, iron, steel, food, beverages, furniture, plastics, dairy products. Palestine's main export partner is, you guessed it, Israel. 80% of their total exports go to Israel. The next leading is Jordan at 7%. So they are incredibly dependent on Israel when it comes to export. Um, Israel's main export buyer is the United States, of course, about 28%, which is followed then by the UK at 8%, Hong Kong at 7%, China at 5 and then Belgium at around four and a half. So you're starting to sort of connect the dots a little bit better in terms of those relationships when you look at them in terms of imports and exports. You look at Palestine's main export buyer, it's Israel, 83%, followed by Jordan, like I said earlier, about 5.6%. And so at least when it comes in terms of comparing their economy, there is a massive disparity in GDP. Um, and then there's also uh, these sort of real strange conflicts when you're looking at who Palestine really relies on in terms of both imports and exports, um, both of those being Israel. So that's basically how the economy breaks down. Um, and from there, I can go in and, and do a little bit of a comparison on healthcare, where again, if you're expecting things to get better, I'm sorry. It's This is going to be a sad, depressing couple of minutes with me. Um, so according to World Population Review, you got Israel ranking at about 28th in terms of healthcare. And Palestine is often not even mentioned or assessed. <clears throat> so it became very, very difficult for me to do a comparison between the healthcare of both of these, um, these nations here. So Palestine's healthcare being hard to look into, this is just sort of some cursory information that I found. Only about 44% of Palestinians have access to what is known as reasonable or, and customary healthcare, you know, just, just normal things, normal healthcare processes. Um, the main deterrent often seems to be that hospitals in the West Bank and Gaza are not properly equipped to deal with more advanced medical problems and procedures, which ends up causing these doctors to have to refer their patients to treatment centers in Israel, where treatment is often delayed. You've got a bureaucratic process to even get there, which often includes having ambulances regularly delayed or denied entrance through security checkpoints from one area to the next. So oftentimes, if you're trying to get somewhere for medical procedures, you don't even end up getting there in this process. There also has the claim that longstanding tensions between Hamas and Israel has led to significant damage to Palestine's medical infrastructure, which is often difficult to repair because of a limitation to material for those repairs. Yeah, yeah, well, they just uh, bombed co the only COVID facility in Palestine. Yeah, um, just like what two days ago. I think they is... also killed the head of the COVID. Um, the whole the, the doctor was like, you know, heading the whole COVID um, response in Palestine. They killed um, the top neurologist uh, as well, and the top uh, psychologist or psych uh, psychiatric doctor mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. They just just targeting their. It's targeted killings. It's, of course. No way. Yeah. And, and, and the vaccine rollout there, too. I mean, Israel was getting praise for it, but, you know, they were playing the card. Oh, well, they're in charge of their own health care. Yeah. And, and, and that, they pick that and choose the when they are an independent, sovereign entity. Yeah. And, of course, it's going to be in favor of Israel always. Mm -hmm. And you have the Israeli government. They've made statements saying that they have... In, themselves imposed no restrictions on medical supplies and equipment getting in into Palestine. But obviously, that's a difficult argument to make when you look at the infrastructure that they have. You have the biggest issue as far as I well, not the biggest issue, but one of the larger issues happens to be that medical professionals in Gaza have particularly like openly stated that they are often not permitted to travel abroad for training. So they're having very, very difficult time advancing their skills, keeping it up with the rest of the world. So right there immediately. You're there's seeing also a like a disparity. huge. There's also just a huge like employment issue in general. I I forget yeah. the exact figure, but I'm pretty sure it's 48 percent of sounds of about right. All citizens in Gaza, or not even citizens, residents of Gaza are are unemployed. Mm. Which you cool. know, is I interesting. It, it uh, putting next to that though is uh, 60 percent of the country is is uh under 18 years old yes as well. that's what i was going to say it is a very very large percentage of their population that is underage 
and their elderly population is, you know, when you compare it to somewhere like the United States, it is massively small by comparison, even in, even when you account for per capita, it is surprising. They, they have a very, very, very large youth population in Palestine. Um, you know, comparatively, it's just, it's, again, when you think about that number, that's, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's going to yeah. make the politics of the area a lot more interesting in the next decade or so, for sure. If this keeps Sure. Going. Well, you've got I'm, to imagine what it's going to be like when those people become, um, you know, adults or quote, you know, over 18 adult um, and, and what that does, you know, in terms of their, I mean, again, I also, I think I break down education in here at some point too. Yeah. I'm not positive. They, when they, they, when they turn 18, they, uh, they don't become adults They become uh, militants. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, this has been a really interesting and sad just like week because mm-hmm. there is, I think there's a lot of people who are not super educated on the subject that are kind of looking to people who are, and they're getting very conflicting views because the reality is, is that while there is a lot of younger American Jews like myself who have become sort of disillusioned with the Zionist movement and like what it represents, at the same time, there are still a ton of American Jews that are also really progressive on other issues that are very much like, you know, uh, uh, stating that, you know, criticism of Israel in this matter is anti-Semitism. It's not, it's not anti-Semitic to criticize a country halfway across the fucking world. But um, it's, you know, there are a lot of people who are looking and they're, they like don't know what the fuck to do with it. And so they're just like, well, I trust these people and they're saying that this is anti-Semitic. So I'm going to assume that this is anti-Semitic. But that's a societal norm, norm though. It depends. That's, yeah. that's the issue. It's become a societal norm. To, like, well, this any, is what I was going to say. Israel is, this was what is I was going to say is what, what makes like Israel unique. Because like one of the things that I've talked a, a lot about with people is that you hear this argument that it's like, well, why is it that people are all up in arms about this? Like there's all, all sorts of injustices that happen all over the world. And and the difference is, is that it, 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 there's an American indoctrination factor. And it's that both in schooling and politically Americans are taught from the youngest ages that Israel cannot do wrong. Dude, also um, religion too. It's a very biblical, like it's a you know, it's a there's yeah. There's a, there's a biblical, biblical factor. There's the evangelical yeah. obsession with the state of Israel. And if I'm being totally honest, just because it, like you know, my little fucking whatever, <laughs> I, I actually think that there is a certain like fetishization for Western countries having like global control over Jerusalem. And I think uh-huh. like American political leaders kind of have like a fucking a hard on about the fact that they are the ones that control Jerusalem because it's a Dude, very it's a, weird it's, it's a always, very weird old school fucking it's a very world old school power kind of thing that potentially I and I mean like, the evangelical uh support for Israel I mean is is just a mask on anti-semitism I mean they hmm. literally believe that this is also the second coming of of Jesus can come and uh, all the Jews will get destroyed right Right, and this and this is something that I've like ex- had to explain to a lot of people is that like there is like when it comes to Israel a lot of like anti I guess like the word best to use would be like microaggression because mm-hmm. like there are a lot of people who think that they're being supportive who talk about like Israel with American Jews as if it's like an end all be all thing for them mm-hmm. and it, and it's like they conflate it with being like the ultimate political issue for most american jews and it's like dude like i'm i'm an american like obviously like i have strong views on this but it's it's it like falls into that old anti-semitic trope that like our first and foremost priority is like jewish hegemony like it's it's like really weird. It's just like a really weird like old a superseding identity trope. basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's yeah. like in that like I know there was like some clip from Newsmax. What do you mean like about Jew like, first, American later? Is that no? It was like or... there was like a Newsmax clip that went viral earlier this week of like 
them being like, I don't know how American Jews can look at how Biden is handling this, like, and what he's doing to your homeland. And it's like American Jews, like Israel is not their fucking homeland. Like, America is <laughs> asshole, like fucking piece of shit. Like there may be some differences about how we feel about it, but like America is our homeland, not Israel. Like it's just, well, that's just it's become like, this obnoxious yeah. prevalence in in today's like at least in the past 10, 20 years. And I know it's been a problem since before that, but it's this sort of misrepresentation of arguments in order to garner support where right. you take the argument and you conflate it in that way because it almost adds a certain layer of shame for not agreeing to you it based on your identity. Yeah, of 100%. Right. And I feel like that's a huge, huge problem. Because but, and this is kind of like, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I was just going to say it doesn't allow us to have the argument in good faith. It's right. not about having the argument to get to the bottom of, of how people feel about it or, or respecting people's opinions or thoughts. It's about I'm right, you're wrong, and you need to get on board. And this is exactly what we were talking about in the last episode, how, um, you know, sometimes problems in the left will, um, you know, leftist uh, critiques of of Israel or um, prominent black conservatives we were talking about can be rooted in sort of like have these microaggressions under it. But then it, that in turn is used to um, deflate the entire argument on the left and right. and just completely take it in bad faith. Uh, what's interesting, though, in, on this thing is how, you know, any critique of Israel is automatically anti-Semitism. We never see the opposite happen. Uh, where are the people talking about the anti-Arab sentiments that are constantly being thrown into this discussion? Right. It's 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 we we are living in arguably. I mean, thankfully, it's sort it's not as strong as it was uh, you know, nearly two decades ago, but you know, Islamophobia among Americans is still like huge. It's still wildly rampant. It's the norm. And yeah, mm -hmm. it is. It's very much the norm. And even people who think of themselves as not Islamophobic tend to have like low key Islamophobic sort Absolutely. of feelings about people. And yeah, it's, it's, it is, it's a, it's a very ongoing problem. And because of it, it's like, you see this bizarre situation where, people who are really progressive suddenly just kind of get like frozen when it comes to Israel. They just like, they just like don't know what to do. They don't know what to mm -hmm. do. And I think it's because unlike so many other issues, there isn't just like such a black and white, like I'm on this side, I'm on this side. And it's, wow. it's people, I think purposely overcomplicate it. Like mm -hmm. I, I think people look at the issue and they overcomplicate it and they look at something like Hamas and they go, well, why is no one speaking out about Hamas? And it's like, no one, I don't know a single fucking person that has looked at this thing and been like, yes, I am pro Hamas. Like, it's like, no one is, <laughs> right. no one is like out there being like, I'm a big fan of Hamas. Yeah, it's another straw. No, man. You're looking at, you're looking at, yeah, exactly. It's a straw man. And you're looking at it. And you're like, okay, this is, here is one, like, here's a superpower. Like, this is a superpower that have pushed people to the absolute like limits as far as how many people they can squeeze into an area of land with pretty much no resources whatsoever, controlling every aspect of their life. They have no uh, power over is Israeli government decisions. They have no vote um, and they have no free will as far as traveling outside of those areas. And it's bizarre to me that when it comes to other like, you know, births of, of terrorist groups, that people can wrap their head around what is the root cause of terrorism in in third world countries, but that for some reason, when it comes to Palestine, they can't seem to wrap their head around right. what would cause these people to enter these desperate situations where they join, uh, uh, you know, a, a group that is I mean, actually anti-Semitic. You know, like Hamas is right. a fucking anti-Semitic group that mm -hmm. conflates Zionism with Judaism. But it, it's Hamas like, didn't start. Yeah. Hamas didn't start with like you know the formation of Israel. They were you know it happened. Well, Hamas happened. Over. Hamas happened in the middle of the eighties as like eighty seven. As a far yeah, as a far right, as a far right Islamist group born out of the Muslim Brotherhood that yep. was partially funded by the right, Israeli right. government as but a way to, to destabilize way to the progressive the, wing yeah, the of the Israeli. I don't know you if I think the PLO was super like the PLO had a well, lot of comparatively problems. speaking. I've got yeah, some military comparison speaking. if you guys want me to get into it a little bit. We can go in, in there if you want. In what regard? Like you mean current military? 
Um, a little bit. I do do a little bit of a blurb on Hamas too there, which gives a little bit of a background. And yeah, but it's yes. just it's it's again, it's one of those comparisons. Um, and I think actually to speak to what you were saying, Ben, just before I get into it a little bit, it's that misunderstanding that some people have when they don't understand the context of what they're talking about. It's it's not under, it's it's and it ties into everything that we're kind of talking about here in terms of those comparisons. It's it's asymmetrical. It's very, very much asymmetrical trying to compare what Hamas did from 87, especially in the mid early 2000s, you know, they, they did a lot of suicide bombings and rocket attacks and those sort of things. Um, they've engaged in multiple wars with Israel. But it's the idea that you have these people who are saying now they're like, well, you know, Hamas launched a ton of rockets at, at Israel, and, and we're supposed to be okay with that. But, you know, it's like, that's not really the argument people are trying to have. And it also ignores the fact of what I'm going to talk about here a little bit, um, which is just the, again, the massive disparity between the Palestinian forces and the Israeli forces. So why don't I get into it a little bit? So let's compare. The Israeli military is some 170,000 active personnel with about 100,000 conscripts. The difference being that active personnel is a full-time job and um, the Israeli you know, military is a compulsory thing. So every citizen has to serve some time. So they have about 100,000 conscripts and about 465,000 personnel who are in reserve. Um, the army is ranked 20 out of 140 ranked countries with large enough armies to be ranked. The Israeli military also historically has gotten lots of aid from the U.S., which we have uh, discussed already. Um, in 2019 alone, the U.S. provided the Israeli army with some $3.8 billion in aid in that year alone. In turn, it is good to know that Israel has been one of the largest annual recipients of American aid historically, having received some $146 billion since World War II. And that number on you know, only accounts from then until I think about 2004. And that number does not take into account inflation. So it's bigger than you realize. You compare that to Palestine, which has no military. There is, however, the Palestine Liberation Army, which is about the size of 6,000 people, but that's more of a security force. They don't have access to military equipment the way the Israeli army does. The PLA is ostensibly the military wing of the PLO, which we mentioned earlier, the Palestine Liberation Organization, which has been labeled a terrorist organization by the United States government. Despite I thought them it lost having its a, official designation. Is, I don't believe uh, it did. What happened was in 1988, they had this presidential waiver that occurred, which permitted contact with the organization, which is something that the United States doesn't normally do with terrorist organizations is that whole we don't negotiate with terrorists but in 88 we permitted contact with the organization though i unless it's happened very very recently i well, didn't the PLO, find out the plo lost any relevant sort of political power in the sure. early in the early yeah, 2000s exactly. the p like the plo is what is recognized mm -hmm. among most arab nations as the official representation like of the Palestinian yeah, representation people. of the Palestinian sure. people even though Hamas is mm -hmm. technically in that official capacity well, yeah, yeah so let's go into that so then there's so there's all of that there's the PLA and there's a the PLO and then there's Hamas which is also known as the Islamic resistance movement which as we said earlier originated in 1987 and they were a group that by its charter's purpose say that they are committed to the destruction of Israel as they see Israel as foreign occupiers Hamas originally had a dual purpose of carrying out an armed struggle against Israel but they were also uh, about delivering social welfare programs, at least for a while. Um, since 2005, Hamas has also engaged in the political process in Palestine. So, um, you know, they're considered, uh, I, can, they, I can't remember who they won against, though. I should have written that down, and I didn't, so I look stupid. Was Anyways. I think it was Fati, I think. Fati. That oh, sounds about right. I knew, I, I thought I wrote it down, but I'm very mad yeah, at oh, you mean Oh, you mean uh, Fata? Fata, I think. Yeah. Whoever they, Fata. but they won. Um, in 2005 since 2005 yeah, yeah. there uh that's what yeah okay um hamas is also considered by the u.s and the eu as a terrorist organization most likely in part due to the fact that they've carried out multiple suicide bombings in the area since the mid-90s to present day hamas as we said earlier is also responsible for many rocket attacks that have occurred against israel in the past decade or so um, in terms of conflicts between the two groups this is where you start to see some of the disparity um the Palestinians are almost always affected far worse than their counterparts. So from 2008 to 2020, you had some 5,600 Palestinians uh, die with nearly 115,000 injuries. And when you compare that to Israel, who had 250 deaths and 5,600 injury, injuries, it's a pretty massive difference. So that's the where I like when you really look at the numbers of it, you have these people who are talking about, you know, well, why aren't anyone saying things about Hamas? Look at the rocket attacks. But when you look right. at it, come down to the deaths and injuries, the Palestinians have received the massive brunt of of the casualties and injuries. 
and yeah. and then you tie that in with the the fact that this is a settler nation, an ethno state. Let's not like mince words here. They are trying to create an ethno state and colonize a group of people who already live there. And then you look at the disparity in military, and it's just like, how do you not make those connections immediately? This is like the modern version of watching in real time, like how the U.S., Canada, Australia formed, basically. You know, right? Like yeah, coming in, these... coming in, yeah, coming in with your religious views. I mean, you know, training over. Yeah. Yeah. The USA yeah. is absolutely just as bad, right? If not worse. And I, and I think there's it's um, it's uh, I think part of you know the Israelis' uh, strategy with this is that. It's like people people look at this and they're like, there has to be like a two-state solution here. And it's just like there is no – like you can't have two states like hundreds of miles apart from one another in such small pla- – it's like there's no situation where that's going to work at this point. Like it's very clear like the, the Israelis are treating this problem as something that they just hope they'll go away at some but point. But they're doing this all and the it, while. They're like, building settlements everywhere. Right. And, and it's like this is – and this so, is what's mm-hmm. important to realize is that it's like it, the Israelis have, you know, every time they've come to a UN agreement, as far as when this is going to stop, uh, uh, that gets violated. And, and it's like, they just keep pushing further and further and further and further into this territory. And the reality is, is that this is a fucking country that is tiny. It has, it, it, it is about a very, of, uh, very small. Yeah. It's like, it's a, we're talking about, it's about the size of New Jersey. You already have 9 million people there. And it's like, you can't it's just there there is no situation where this country can keep growing it's just right. it, it it can't um and it, and it's pretty absurd when you consider that like among american jews we we do still have the right to return quote unquote like right. while i was paid for like, it. While I, yeah while i was there on birthright like i had random people at stores tell me that they were like we would love to have you back. And like, in my mind, I was just like, you don't have any room. Like, where the, what? Dude? Like, 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 you got, are you insane? Like, there's no room, man. Like, it's just, it, it was but when wild. you were there, Ben, did you, did you feel a sense of attachment or like that fact that you were like, did your Jewishness come out more? And did, so, can you see the appeal to people want still like, you know, this is a movement that started over a hundred years ago and it's still, still going there strong. Is a, there is a, argument that i think anyone can admit that it always feels good to be around people who are culturally similar to them i grew up being one of only two jewish people in my school and i received a lot of shit i i dealt with a lot of fucking anti-semitism as a kid i was called a kike i had people asked to see the fucking numbers on my arm and the school didn't really do much about it dude it was pretty fucked up um so, you know, when I moved to New York, it was the first time in my life I had ever been like around a lot of Jewish people. And it was a very comforting feeling finally being around people who didn't look at me like I had a fucking third eye in the center of my forehead. So especially when, it, you know, if anybody knows anything about like the Jewish religion and like their celebrations, so much of it is around our struggle. It's like every Jewish holiday is essentially a holiday about being like, and they almost killed us, but they didn't. <laughs> they killed a lot of us, but not all of us. And it's like, and it's like, so there is, it, there is a certain mindset that it's like people have to remember that the Israeli and like the Zionist movement is born out of the people who came there in the height of Jewish persecution in the 20th century, and that it also yeah. was born out of the fact that. The reason that Western countries supported this is because none of these fucking countries wanted Western or wanted fucking Jewish refugees. They didn't want. No, they wanted to ship them away. They were like, here is this Mm -hmm. relatively, you know, other than its sentimental value as a religious of of its religious important uh, importance. It's of really no value as far as like natural resources. Israel doesn't really have a lot. Its biggest natural resource that it exports is like fucking olive oil, you know, and it's it's it's. Other, than, I think there's some petroleum, but compared to the other countries in the Middle East, it's nothing. Um, At least it's still oil. So, yeah. Right, and and so it's like th- <laughs> this this entire thing was born out of other countries being like, well, we don't want you guys here, and like the Jew and a lot of European Jews were like, well, you know what? Frankly, we're trying, we're done trying to make a fucking life with you people. So, well, sure. Rothschild was the one who bankrolled all this. Like, right, that's exactly. Why, that's why, and it's still being bankrolled. It's still yeah, being bankrolled right. by rich people. It's like my fucking birthright trip was funded by Sheldon Adelson when that piece of shit was still alive. 
You know, it's like there is a fucking political agenda to it. And it's it it is enticing. Like it's it's not surprising why there is still a lot of kids my age who are Jewish who still very see this through one lens because birthright is like they're not showing you like Jewish propaganda films while you're there, but like it is a very like they encourage you to like hook up while you're there and like you hang out with like a bunch of Israeli soldiers and like you go to an IDF cemetery at one point. Like it's fucking there are some weird shit that happens on, on birthright. And it's, it's all based in this idea of like creating this relationship between American Jews and Israel. Right. And, and it, and it goes back to the whole, uh, I know we talked about it before, but Norman Finkelstein and his, uh, blackballing from academia based on his book, the Holocaust industry, where like this sort of historical oppression is weaponized and exploited right. And he got called self-hating Jew, anti-Semitic, all this stuff. He got kicked out of – he got fired from his job. Um, but his whole argument was rooted in the fact that like, no, out of anyone, we should understand what oppression right. is and recognize it and, and put a stop to it. So using that actually is what's cheapening the experience that historically Jews have – the persecution that they have faced – is is cheapened by this usage of that as sort of this political tool. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And and it's like it's incredibly frustrating because people will bring that up to me sometimes when I talk about this that they're just like but they've suffered so much and it's like our suffering doesn't it can't be used to justify further suffering. Like that doesn't right. fuck that. Like that's that would a be ironic to do shit. so. Yeah. And, and it's like, I'm not one of those fucking naive people who like thinks that this thing is going to easily solve itself. Like the reality right. is, is that, is that this, this conflict has been going on long enough that there is so much bad blood that even if like, I, I just want to go ahead and throw this out there that like, I do not think a two state solution is possible. I think the, like my personal theory of the only thing that's even theoretically, and this is a very vague theoretically possible situation would be the disillusion of the current government that that occupies the Knesset and having an equal representation for both Israelis and Palestinians and returning quite a bit of the land that belonged to these Palestinians and making them all equal citizens. But again, this is a a, a pipe dream because there is yeah. so much bad right. blood between these people. But it's like the it's like, but it's also a pipe dream when people try to say that like there's a situation where all these Israelis leave and go back to wherever they theoretically came from. Since like a lot of the no. people who came from these who came to Israel were from places that there's still a heavy amount of anti-Semitism. We're talking Eastern European countries like Romania, Hungary, Poland, like places that anti-Semitism is still pretty fucking problematic. Um, yeah, and that's a huge amount of people to have to house and right. I mean, logistically, it's just doesn't not, make any sense. It's not yeah. possible. Right. But like it, it's We're too I, far deep into this for to hit undo on anything, basically. Right. So it, it's just, like you can't there is no situation at this point where like people are like, oh, like Palestine, Palestine will will take back everything it had and all these people who came to Israel will leave. It's like, dude, we're talking about nine million people. We're talking yeah, nine million 19, people, multiple generations. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple <laughs> generations with so much money backing it. Like it's it's that's not gonna happen. An army like, backing it. Come on. Yeah, like an army backing it. And it, it's like, I think what the first steps have to be, and, and this is what will hopefully come out of this, is that it's like, there ha and sorry, I'm kind of just rambling a little bit here, but it, it, the problem I always see where people are arguing that it's like, well, there's all this other fucked up shit that happens in the world. It's like, okay, yes, but the reality is, is that every other country, when they do this fucked up shit, uh, can receive condemnation and sometimes some sort of accountability from the rest of the international community, whereas uh, Israel does not. And it's like it, it, there needs to be some sort of accountability, whether it's us, uh, uh, you know, stopping certain funding for Israel, uh, you know, boycotting of certain. I have no. That's political suicide, product. dude. If anyone, anyone oh, ever wants to do that, that's political. Doesn't matter. Know, the career suicide. Accountability, yeah. But accountability is the only way there's ever going to be any sort of positive change because if, if there's nothing that comes from this, which I just want to go ahead and clarify, I do not think anything is going to politically come from this in the U S except maybe no. further, except maybe further, 
you know, diminishing the relationship that Israel holds with a lot of younger American Jews, I do not see very much long-term consequences for Israel. They don't hold the power. They don't. They don't. And, and the reality is, is that most upper middle class to rich, uh, uh, American Jews still very widely support, uh, the Zionist movement and the country of Israel without question. Yeah, I mean, and that, and that kind of brings us to sort of the general response to this. The I think the only positive thing we've seen is I, I, I've seen a major sea change in how this is talked about on social media um, and, and just the, 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 the average American person's response to this is has shifted dramatically from uh, either explicit support of Israel or ignorance of the situation uh, down to like, oh, well, both sides need to just get along. Like, let's bury the hatchet. Yeah. I mean, it's um, not yeah. no matter which way you look at yeah, it. Yeah. And that and that's ways. and that has been a massive shift. Um, right. I don't know that we've seen that shift in the general media, however. Um, we have seen it from some people who tend to not fuck with that kind of stuff. You know, we did. It's like I have kind of mixed feelings about him as far as his, his content. But I was pretty surprised when John Oliver's right thing did come out because John Oliver has normally uh, with U S empire, other than like Iraq and Afghanistan doesn't, isn't overly critical of it. Um, and I, so I was pretty surprised when I saw that there has been some stuff on MSNBC uh, that I was kind of surprised by, but I don't know. It's, yeah, and, and I mean, I think that's in response to the pressure that they are getting politically um, from the general public as well. I think a lot of people are because of social media and just like just like Black Lives Matter, right? That exploded because of the advent of social media, of everyone having a camera in their hands. They are less able to control the narrative as they were before because the narrative doesn't just come from the New York Times or the New York Post or what have you. Um, the narrative comes from Twitter, from Palestinians, from uh, these new new left uh, American Jews in America who are you know not falling in line with the traditional sort of Israel support. Right. Um, However, I mean, I still think there are definitely a very, if you know what to look for, a clear bias in the reporting. Um, I mean, if you want to go for the sort of extreme example, New York Post was uh, saying that Hamas was, uh, ran a headline accidentally claiming that Hamas was the one that killed 26 people, including nine children. And then I think they changed it to something like, oh, after exchanging fire strikes, so and so many Palestinians dead, right? And uh, you're going to see yeah. this again. It's the exact same sort of uh, narrative as with you know officer involved shootings, right? Instead of saying police murdering someone, they say mm -hmm. uh, someone was killed in an off officer involved shooting, and you get this really heavy usage of the passive voice, um, right? In these headlines. It's I, power propaganda. I think it's, I think it's really interesting you bring that up, Ian, because actually one of the best ways of describing like what the discourse is right now that I've heard is describing this in the same context as the Black Lives Matter movement, that the same way that there were these uh, moderates and people on the right wing that had this reaction that anytime someone said black lives matter, they were just like, well, what the fuck? Like only black lives matter, like all lives matter, like blue lives, matter. this kind of shit. And it, it's very similar that it's like, okay, like, yeah, we're, we are saying Palestinian lives matter. Like the, the well-being of these people matters. These people have fucking human rights. We are not right. saying that we think every one of these people should be blown off the map. Like, we're not saying that we want Israel to be fucking blown up. That is not uh, what we're saying. Right. It's like, Jesus Christ, dude. It's but like, sadly, it, you'll find the very, rhetoric. Well, no, it does you'll exist. Find that, that, rhetoric, rhetoric. that rhetoric does exist because the reality is, is that, like, anti-Israel sentiment is used as a chess piece in Middle Eastern politics. And the reality right. is, and, and the reality is, is that most Middle Eastern countries do not actually give a fuck about Palestinians. They never have. And it, it really is mostly just used as a political dog. Especially whistle. now. Like, yeah, you can exactly. see more in the present it's day. Like, like, they just do not give a yeah, shit. Yeah, like they Saudi might have had lip service it, they have back in like, the day, but not anymore. 
that's what's like kind of funny about it is because like you see these like reports and they're like, well, look at like look at what this Iranian politician said, like saying they want to blow up it. And it's like, dude, this is like this is this is like <laughs> it has American, everything to do with is, Israel yeah, and Iran like an and American nothing to do with I, trotting yeah. out nine eleven. It's just meaningless right. at this point. Like it's just fucking it's just bullshit rhetoric. It means nothing, you know. And it, it's. I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I just I feel like I've provided just rambles this episode. <laughs> That's it's no, good no, rambling. Mean, yeah. I mean, what else can you uh, do it, when you're man, I don't, something like this? I don't I don't think you know the name of the show. It's called Progressive Rants. So no, I know. But you're, it's just, <laughs> no, you're <laughs> right. been ranting. It's, it's all good. But, but the Black Lives Matter movement is a very good comparison because there's right. also like these reactions from people that they say they're like, I I think it's really important that we listen to these voices. I just wish the violence would stop. And it's like, I hear what you're saying, but you weren't listening to the fucking voices before the violence. So like, what fucking point is that making? Because right now their point is standing pretty strong that the only reason you're fucking listening is because you're watching it on TV and you're horrified because otherwise they weren't ever showing it, you know? And it's just, it's the same. It was the same thing with Black Lives Matter. They're like, well, I, I think it's, you know, really important that we talk about this. I just wish that these violent protests weren't happening. It's like, you didn't fucking give a shit until they were happening. Yeah, right. You know? Exactly. Like, I said the language happened, you wouldn't be talking about right. it. Right. Well, 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 and then that's how this happened, is this was sort of kind of kick-started by, you know, uh, protests of these forced evictions and then the police in Israel uh, just blatantly attacking and, and moving in on the uh, the mosque on fucking during fucking Ramadan. Right. Which and if you want to get into it, if you want to get into it, there is also, you know, if you want to get a little conspiratorial with it, that who I do Netanyahu has been coming under a lot of scrutiny for his corruption. And this has been, this has turned into the perfect fucking cover all any attention that was right. on Netanyahu's bullshit and what like his crappy corruption has all been wiped away. And he's been caught. All, all been wiped away. He's been caught sharing like uh, false videos and and things that didn't even happen this year. Right. Or well, aren't it, even Palestine. The other side to this guy is like even domestic Palestinian politics. Like um, Hamas controls um, Gaza, but they don't they don't have control over the what's it called. Um, the West Bank. West Bank, yeah. So they're trying to become the voice of the Palestinian people to negotiate. Like you're saying, the PLO still is recognized by most states as the, like you say, the voice of reason and whatnot. And uh, sorry, the um, so uh, the they're trying Palestine. to just so voice voice of Palestine. Is what I'm trying to say, right? Um, though, so they're they're trying to become that. So it's it's both. It's it's basically two right wing governments now trying to like vie power in their own domestic spheres of influence. And it's playing out in a geopolitical manner right now. That's basically also yeah. we but need to consider that. At the same time, you're seeing you're seeing uh, mass strikes of Palestinian civilians. Um, there, this isn't just Hamas versus Israel. I mean, the, like we're still persecuting the Palestinian people, uh, and 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 they have every right to sort of, you know, protest that. Well, you got to mm-hmm. wonder at a certain point, you know. Uh, Obviously, this all just didn't pop up yesterday. And right. Like, again, it, it, if you tie into some of the numbers, you know, especially like looking at the human development index, you know, Israel's ranked 19 on that. Palestine's like ranked 115. We're, we're talking about, um, again, it's that bad blood that keeps going on. And it's sort of like to what Ben was saying. We're, we're sort of in that spot where going backwards is the same as going forwards. There is no easy way to find a solution here. And the longer that this goes on, the more upset both sides are going to get, the more justified they're going to feel, the more emboldened they're going to feel no matter what the action happens to be. And I can understand it at a certain point. Look at if you're, if you're living in Palestine, you know, you're getting a mean schooling amount of like 9.2 years. You've got a gross, you know, national income per capita of like $6,000 compared to Israel's $40,000. We're talking about, you know, uh, really disparaging numbers between these two people and it grows worse every single day. So you're getting this rhetoric uh, again, especially like what we we're talking about where they're like, Oh yeah, well it's a tie back to BLM. It's like, we would respect them more if they weren't violent, but what do you expect? 
expect these people to do at a certain point. There's not a single person in America that you would ask that if you were to tell them, that, well, listen, uh, you're on the border with Canada. What if Canada came down and started kicking people out of their homes in the US? What do you think the United States citizens would do in response to being removed from their homes? Because that's what's happening here. You can't go ahead and say on the one hand that you would do it the way that they are but then you're also not okay with them doing what they're doing. There's a there's a blatant hypocrisy in, in that sort of argument that that I don't get how the disconnect occurs. It's as if people don't seem to understand the context of what's happening and they seem incapable they of relating it to themselves. They don't. And then I think this is sort of played into by the media. This is they like they both sides it. As, and as they always. make it sound like, like, it like a, it's more complex than it is. It's, it's right. There's right. a clear like, oppressor really and there's a clear victim in this conflict. Right. And there's yes. a clear antagonizer. And they this is so this is what I was going to point out earlier. And I, there's a great uh, citations needed episode on this sort of phenomena. But pay close attention to certain tropes in the media that you're going to see. You're going to see where phrases like escalating violence clashes and rising tensions. And what those do is those completely separate the antagonizer from the equation. And so like Palestinians killed over like rising tensions uh, results in clashes where they're not talking about the actual fact of like the actual details about what is happening. Like Israel is striking and, and you know, like, and then with that disparity too, they say like, Oh, Israel retaliates after Hamas fired rockets. But again, like you talk about things like the Iron Dome and this disparity yes, in the military that you have. Point. This really is like the the metaphor of of someone throwing rocks at a tank. Yeah. This is like, these are symbolic rockets being fired back. I mean, yes, who, there are people who died, and I'm not trying to diminish that whatsoever, but let's not pretend that this isn't a completely one sided asymmetric response. Asymmetric, Israel so exactly. far has not one sided but asymmetrical I, I say it to, it's like getting in a, it's like being it's like getting in a fight with like someone who's a hundred pounds lighter than you and then responding by giving them a knockout punch. Well, it's it's like you now like they're like, like the it's United like States giving you these North like Korea. little little yeah. fucking hits in the That's chest. Like and you respond by like knocking them the fuck out. It's like, like here, here's a headline for you. Uh, Jerusalem violence leads to rockets and airstrikes. Right. That it's not. Mm-hmm. Israel launched airstrikes and rockets. It's Jerusalem violence, this abstract idea, these rising tensions that are happening. Um, that was Reuters. Here's one from NBC. Hamas fires rocket into ins- Israel as tensions in Jerusalem boil over. And, you know, this is just a very tiny snippet of what's been going on. And that's the headline you run with. Like, this is where people get these sort of but this isn't the first ideas time, of this both this sides the first bullshit. Time- this has happened. Uh, storming of the Al-Aqsa Mosque has happened before multiple times. Like, it's always they know what the trigger point is of, like, you know, to fucking make the oppressed snap and give the opportunity to fucking level <laughs> buildings and shit. They've always mm-hmm. done this. Like, they've, uh, I think one of the Intifadas well, started that way. I'm not I, sure I think, the first I think one, one of the differences this time around, though, is that I, I think in the past it wasn't quite so obvious to the average person the right wing nature of right. Israel's government. Bibi Netanyahu could objectively be defined as a fascist. Like, it's like, it's a it's but dude, a very, you gotta realize you gotta yeah, realize it, the political climate. There's been like four elections since what 2019. Oh, I know. He's, he's, he's siding more and more with the right wing fundamentalists because that's yeah. the only place he can get votes. And for his- this is what I try to explain to people, uh, especially like you know, American people who, who consider themselves progressives, maybe not leftists, but progressives. And it's it's they very they get very caught up and very frozen. And I try to say to them that it's like if anti-Semitism was the only thing that mattered, Netanyahu wouldn't be buddying up with literal neo-Nazis. <laughs> like, it's, exactly. like, it's like this dude is like friends geopolitically with like neo-Nazis, you know? And it's, and it's like these people, uh, they get very worried about trying to offend anybody. And it's like, you, you recognize the evilness of Trump. I want you to recognize how close of a relationship that they had with Trump. Like it was a very, like they got along swimmingly 
And and oh, yeah. that's all you need to know about Netanyahu. Like Netanyahu is a deeply corrupt, deeply evil individual, and it's not anti-Semitic to acknowledge that at all. Nope, hard to. Disagree. But it'll get you in trouble, Ben. It will get you in trouble for doing that. So, right. Uh, yeah. Well, and yeah, and it's reality. because of how ingrained and and how invested American political and media systems are both tied to dude biden is a little bitch do you guys remember when fucking <laughs> netanyahu came to the u.s and just went yeah. up to congress under the invitation to what mitch mcconnell i think and just fucking shit on barack obama indirectly for which, not which by and the then, way is like not a thing that foreign leaders do they don't come at the request of like a senator <laughs> like, no. it's yeah. not, like that's not a thing foreign dignitaries do like yeah, and then what What does Obama do on the way up? Fucking sign a $38 billion 10-year package, military aid package for Israel. On his, and he gets shat on. Money. And then right. same thing with Biden shit. now. Fucking fuck. Yeah. And then you see all these politicians saying like, well, Israel has the right to defend itself. Fence sitting is very, very beneficial in politics. Both right. sides is something that we hear no matter where the fuck we go, because that makes you fe- it makes you seem like you could curry favor with either side. Right. But when That's I punch you and yeah. you punch me back and then I shoot you. Yeah, it's a little uh, I was just defending myself. You just punched me. It doesn't yeah. matter that I punched you first. But again, it all comes back to this for me. People don't seem to understand asymmetric warfare, asymmetric response. And the way I always try to, to relate it to people is I go, okay, look at North Korea. Now, if we both fired the same missile at each other, let's say, um, North Korea fires a missile at us, we fire one at them. The damage that they're going to do to our infrastructure is so much greater than the damage that we're going to do to them. But past that, we also probably shouldn't be attacking people who as far as I can see, some days have most of their economy propped up through meth sales. It doesn't make you look better as a developed nation to pick on someone weaker than you. And that is exactly what this is. There's ways for developed nations to figure out a solution to this that doesn't involve the wholesale slaughter of a people in order to get their way. That's what's asymmetric about this. It's the fact that 6,300 Palestinians have died since this has started. In, I think it's as far back as the 2000s. And they and Israel has lost 250 people. And Israel is acting righteously indignant about it while they're still, again, being the, the aggressors. And people will sit there and say, well, both sides have an argument. And I'll just sit there and go, no, no, they don't. Because the context argues otherwise. You cannot show, and again, that one rocket, Hamas launches 200 rockets. All they need is for one of them to hit Israel for it to be far greater damage than what they could do to the Palestinian infrastructure. At the same time, look at the technology they have. What is it called again? Their 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 missile iron defense. Dome. Iron dome. Iron dome. You think Palest you think Palestinians have an iron dome? No. They have to sit there and wait and hope that it doesn't hit their building. That's what's asymmetrical about it. People can talk about how, well, look, those people in Israel are afraid. And I go, yeah, at a different level and because of a different response and because of a different defense system. And there's all sorts of evidence well. of Israel will attack a target. It'll be innocent civilians that are killed, children. But then mm-hmm. they'll later back up and say, oh, Hamas was there. And and there are cases of like literally Collateral like damage. them, them un- completely un- with no basis uh, coming up with these whole backstories that this, oh, this guy was in Hamas. Sure. After and, uh, they've killed, like, you know, some it's very, janitor it's, with eight kids. It's very, very similar to the exact same way that we handled our own combat activities Psyops. in Afghanistan and Iraq. Right. It's it's like the same way with, you know, the Israeli government funding Hamas in its early days in an attempt to take away, you know, political power from the PLO, which by this the way, what we did with Al Qaeda. Yeah, it's exactly, it's what we did with Al Qaeda. It's what we did with the Taliban. And it, it's, it also, you know, just for the record, like doing that from the start shows that the Israeli government didn't really have that much of an interest in coming to an agreement with the PLO. Cause if they did, they would have been more supportive of a successful PLO that they could it was just buying time know, work for with more in some fashion. Me, yeah, exactly. Just, it's never been me, about it's never been about coming to an agreement that actually is a compromise. Let yeah. me let me read you a, a quote from Netanyahu um, from I believe just a couple years ago. Um, that was 
had snippets of it were then tweeted out by the official Twitter account of the prime minister of Israel. Um, Shimon aspired toward peace, but he knew that true peace can be achieved only if our hands strongly grasp defensive weaponry. In the Middle East and in many parts of the world, there is a simple truth. There is no place for the weak. The weak crumble, are slaughtered, and are erased from history while the strong, for good or ill, survive. The strong are respected, and alliances are made with the strong, and in the end, peace is made with the strong. That's a really disturbing quote. This is the Prime Minister of Israel. What of the weak? And it's so it's such a nebulous thing to to think of. Are we talking about weak willed, weak in morality? What is it that we're supposed to do with these weak people? Why if the strong survive, what does that say of what they do to the weak? Is is strength really the be all end all? Is that is that what we are as humans now? Uh and 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 trying to try that tie that to this like this whole concept that this is because like oh the Jews have been oppressed for so long like I, it's just it's hard to make those connections and 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 just make it make sense. Well, again, in that quote, I don't think it reads the way he thinks it reads because it makes it sound like strength is is an oppressor is really what it makes it sound like. It sounds like the we we were on the wrong end of the stick at one point and we learned from it. And what we learned from it is you got to be holding the stick, not that nobody should be doing that and that we can become better, not that we can rise above this. It's no, no, no. You're either going to be beating or taking the beating. And that's how that reads. And that's a very, very dangerous precedent to set. If any of you guys are looking for like a really interesting perspective on Jewish diaspora and Zionism as a whole, I would really suggest uh, uh, buying a copy of Ellie Valley's book called Diaspora Boy. Um, I have it. It's a fascinating read and it really kind of goes into he's a political cartoonist a very yeah very edgy political cartoonist who's mm-hmm. one of my absolute favorites he's super talented um and he was the one that had the whole megan mccain thing that blew up. <laughs> yeah he's, he's, he's pretty entertaining um but so very anti-semitic it, this it, it kind of it Ellie. kind of goes into it goes into this idea that uh zionism has in jewish communities been kind of used in almost like, I can't believe I'm using it in this in this way. But like, it's like it's almost been used as a way of like in, in a toxic masculinity kind of way of saying the like, cudgel. if you are like it, it, like you need to be a Zionist because if you're not, you're just this, you're just this weak Jew. You're just this weak Jew who just falls into these into these stereotypes of everything that they've said about us, and that Zionism is the strong way to be this like. You know, he calls him, he calls him diaspora man. And he's just like this fucking, like, he's just like this IDF dude who just like has his muscles <laughs> like this all the time. But it is, it's a very, it's a very strong political thing that plays onto the uh, uh, sensitivities of a religious group that has historically been, uh, uh, you know, tried, you know, attempted extermination multiple times you know and it it very much plays to those people well and it's understandable it's like it's not surprising that it worked it's like it it, there's no i don't think anyone is shocked why why israel has a lot of the political kind of mindsets that it has it doesn't make it okay but i don't think anybody's surprised by them um but you know i just kind of wanted to say before we go that like if you're looking you know like if you're someone who's kind of struggling to figure out how to feel on this because you're getting a lot of conflicting stuff, whether it be from friends and family that like, there are some really like level headed uh, uh, places you can go to like read about this. Jewish currents is a really mm-hmm. good publication that has a very like level headed uh, uh, progressive way of looking at this. It's not, it doesn't attack anybody. It's just a very like honest way of looking at a lot of this. Ellie Valley is a fantastic cartoonist and writer. You should totally check him out. Uh, Norman Finkelstein 
Mm-hmm. It's totally great. Also, Barry Weiss. No, I'm fucking around. Um, <laughs> oh god! But there are like they're very much like you know what the scary thing yeah. is. She's one of the top ones on Substack. She's like oh, I believe it. I yeah. believe she's top three. Well, I mean, so like is that. Michael Tracy. So like you know, I mean, imagine like paying like ten bucks a month to read Michael and Dan rather too or something like, like what the fuck. Um, but like uh, I, I, I must say actually, when it, the only subscription subscription I have is Greenwald, and I'm Same. very, I'm getting very close to canceling it because Greenwald Same. annoys the shit out of me so much. Oh Such a love hate relationship with that man. Just definition yeah. of a love hate relationship. <laughs> so annoyed with him sometimes. But uh, any any other podcast you guys recommend if people don't have the time to read or. I mean, I, I mean, I if you're going to watch headlines, I'm I'm always going to suggest the uh, Democracy Now has you know I think mm-hmm. the most clear, straightforward uh, reporting if with current, event, Goodman, yeah. uh, current events. Current uh, events. If you're looking for headlines, if you're looking for more investigative stuff, um, the Intercept is always a great sort of option for you know exposing things. If you're looking into media bias. Citations Needed has done some great stuff on this. Nas just made a really good point in the, in yeah, the chat box. My, Michael Brooks has some amazing, really amazing succinct, non, non-confrontational, really just like good uh, uh, stuff. I mean, it's like I think what a lot of people get. Or even better, go on YouTube and type in Noam Chomsky, Israel-Palestine. That'll last yeah. you a week. Yeah, and, and it, it's... it's uh, I... And I, something I kind of wanted to finish out also saying is that uh, there are going to be a lot of times where people throw around the word anti-Semitism. It's, it, it has, a, it's sort of fluid what anti-Semitism can mean in different contexts. Like we were saying earlier, like assuming every American Jew's end-all be-all issue is Israel is kind of anti-Semitic. Right. But it's it's I, you need to know that that having really? critical thinking about the country of Israel is not anti-Semitic. Correct. It is using it is using critical thinking skills to judge a fucking sovereign government yep. that is inflicting its power on a, a mostly helpless people. Yeah. Remember, folks. D- despite yeah. what the world has constantly been shoving down our throats, a state is not an identity. Right. Yes. A state is not an identity. It's not a culture. And, and also. And also, just for the record, uh, uh, in the Israeli constitution, it is not technically a Jewish state. It is sort of, they left it up for, uh, they, they left it sort of ambiguous, but it is not technically a Jewish state. So it, it's, you are not criticizing the Jews when you are talking about Israel. Uh, that being said, if you are looking at someone online and they are clearly Jewish and their content does not have anything to do with Israel. And there is a bunch of comments that say free Palestine. That is fucking anti-Semitic. That person is not even talking about the conflict that is conflating Zionism with Judaism. You're a fucking asshole. Don't do that. But like, feel free to enter this fucking marketplace of, <laughs> I hate the marketplace of ideas, the commonplace, the the discussion Too late. of, of well, yeah, I guess so. I'm fu- Facebook marketplace of ideas. Um, Check out these great just, people on TikTok who are talking about this. Right, right. And don't, for real and don't though, there for, are some great yeah. ones. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, there's Unlike Jared Kushner, we did not manage to solve this situation in one podcast episode, but uh, definitely down to talk about it. And definitely tune in soon, guys, because uh, we were originally going to do a QAnon episode about Iran, which we do still plan on doing. Um, So definitely tune in soon. We're going to do that. uh, And I guess we'll have to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Bye, guys. See ya. Yeah, whatever.